Brownstone with Jara Monique. I'm your host, Jara, and this is the show where we explore how people experience and engage with different aspects of life from their varied perspectives, all while sharing some laughs, some gags, and some advice. On today's episode, we're talking about death and grief. And joining me today is Naomi. Hi, Naomi. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I will like continuously, profusively say thank you throughout this episode. <laughs> no, I'm really, really glad to be here again. Thank you for having me and thinking of me. I think this is going to be a really great talk. Yes, I do as well. And I mean, the themes that we're discussing today can be very heavy, but I mean, they feel very timely, you know, yes, with everything happening in the world. So um, hopefully folks will listen and take something from this conversation, whatever it is that they may need. But yeah, so to get started with the show, I like to begin with a segment I call What's the Meaning? And this is where we take a word that's related to today's topic or one just floating around in the zeitgeist. And we discuss what it means in relation to ourselves. And today's word is space. Space. <laughs> Space, yes, and not like you know these sort of intergalactic right. space, um, outer space. Yeah, not outer space, which I'm sure some folks are like, "What?" Um, <laughs> but uh, the more I don't even know esoteric space. I don't even know how one would describe this space. <laughs> I, mean, I guess that's why it's the word, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so space. Um, what do we want to talk about regarding space? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to throw it to you to give myself, you know, to give me some time to like <laughs> process. So, I mean, like, what does it mean, for instance, what does it mean to hold space, at least like for you? Well, for me, for myself, holding space is really about being present for someone. And that can be emotionally, like mentally, spiritually, physically. Um, and I think the main thing for me is that it really means like putting aside like your own things and sort of taking yourself out of the equation in order to show up for somebody um, fully, like to allow someone to really fully feel like the depth of whatever they're feeling and um, without judgment. Yeah. Oh man. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have a like very similar um, sort of experience or um, I guess definition of it myself. And I think I would say like pretty much exactly what you said, but I love that you added like sort of like different elements like one can hold space physically and emotionally and mentally for, for someone or for themselves, which I think is um, awesome and important and maybe not ways that I would have myself thought like I could do that in more than one way. Yeah, that's so real. I, I feel like it feels timely to mention that because like, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I feel like that also has to sh kind of shift the ways in which we hold space. So I think primarily when I first think of holding space, I think of like a physical space, like that somebody is like creating or just like, you know, holding for people to show up. But since we can't really do that physically or yet like regularly in safe ways, like it kind of has to shift the ways that we can be in relationship with each other. And those ways are just as valid as like the original definitions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess depending on the person, because for some people like that physical presence 
is a, like means a lot. And um, I definitely get that. But I, I feel like even now, like I can see the importance and the value in, in holding space like emotionally for people in a way that like I perhaps, you know, didn't before, especially, you know, with the yeah. pandemic. <laughs> Because all those spaces were available to us. So it's really kind of easy to sort of um, overlook all the other ways that you can do it in lieu of like the physical, like as the primary. But yeah, we're really shifting. And being with somebody emotionally and not being able to be with them physically is just as valid to me, at least, as being like present physically or in all the other ways that are named. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just as valid as well. And it's also... um kind of done this thing also where now I'm kind of looking at my relationships and myself and, and maybe having to hold myself accountable in the ways that like, maybe I haven't necessarily shown up, you know? Oh, yes, Um, definitely. I feel that. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, can be a little like, oh, this sucks. Accountability sucks. It doesn't always feel great. It does not, but it's, I mean, I get like, it's necessary. Like, you know, it's necessary, but I mean, one of my favorite words I think now, and I say this repeatedly on the show is like grace. Especially now. Yeah. Grace, all of it. Yeah. Every single bit of it. (laughs) Yeah. Give it to yourself. Give it to everyone. All of it right now. Like, (laughs) you know, like, Yes. None of us are perfect, and we are it all is like fucked up right now. So say it, hello, <laughs> and like we are all sitting with it and trying to live through it. It's so important to just have that moment of being like, "Shit is so fucked right now," and I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah, 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 and just being mindful, like because yeah. I feel like there are often times where we want to quote unquote hold space for people. Yeah. And then you have to acknowledge that you are you like you yourself are not in a position to do that. Like yes, yes. I think that that's so important. I'm so glad that you said that because I don't think that there's. I think that you do less harm by acknowledging if you are not in a position to hold space for someone, or if maybe you're not necessarily a safe space for someone. Not because of anything like necessarily violent, but that could just be as simple as like that thing that you're dealing with. I don't have space to hold it, or I can't hold it in a way where I'm not judging you as you tell me. So like maybe I'm not the person to come to with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And I mean, that's, again, that I think contributes to accountability is like acknowledging that for yourself. And like, it can be hard, because like, you know, who doesn't want to be a support system to, you know, those in their life who need it, but, you know, being able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not the person for you to go to with this right now. I'm not the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like boundaries and, and working through that with like therapy actually has helped me realize that like so much. Oh, it's like, yes. yeah. And just like, wow, like, yeah, okay. Can you actually, like you said, can I listen and hold space from a place of non judgment? Can I take myself out of the equation without this is what I would do and this is how I would react? It's like, no hard it's so hard and it's it's something that requires practice and that practice doesn't always feel good you know no it doesn't it it requires a lot of mindfulness like I I feel like I used to before um shoot off a text to a friend or if they were sharing something with me and I'd be like oh well have you tried x y and z 
And, or have you looked into, you know, doing this? And like, now I'm, I'm so grateful that I've gone through that hard lesson of just being like, if they didn't like specifically ask for your advice. <laughs> yes. We're all guilty of that. I definitely yeah. am. Like, cause you want to, you want to help, you want to fix, you want to like toss off suggestions. So it's really hard to learn like, oh, maybe they just wanted to talk or like thinking like, well, when I text people, sometimes I really just want to talk. I don't want things to be fixed. I just want to vent for like half an hour and then I like receive it. And then like, I just got it off my chest. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, um, yeah, that's kind of been like part of my, uh, process in like holding space for folks, which I'm, you know, not, I'm imperfect. I will say that, (laughs) but I'm learning. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, my friends have just been, have given me a lot of grace in in that which I'm so grateful for <laughs> there's that magic word again Grace. yeah I swear it's a, it's a life changer <laughs> but um but kind of continuing to talk about space like you mentioned uh safe space yeah. and I kind of want to like go further into like what is what is a safe space like what does that mean for you for me, a safe space or like creating a safe space means creating a space with um, with intention for folks to be able to show up and be seen like exactly as they are that day, exactly as they are in that moment without the fear of like harassment or judgment or just anything that you wouldn't want to hear when you're coming from a really vulnerable place. Um And for me, it really means creating a space that works within like a framework of respect and compassion and honor. Um, And I kind of mentioned this the last time we talked, but I feel like it's really important that you can create a space with like all of the good intentions in the world and all of the forethought. But I think ultimately it is... It is for the people who are attending these spaces to let you know whether or not you've succeeded in creating a safe space. I don't necessarily think that you can create a space and completely label it safe until somebody who is participating like goes like, okay, yes, this feels safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember that when you said that um, during our like private conversation, because I was so struck by it. Cause I was like, whoa, Mind blown. I didn't think about that part. <laughs> I, I think it's just like something that that has come up more like with me as I hold my own like groups. And because we talk about things that are really tender and can be really triggering, um, like it really makes me feel good when people who come to the space or regularly come say like, this is a safe space. And then they tell their friends, like, this is a safe space for you to discuss X, Y, and Z. And to that, like, that feels more, that inspires more gratitude than it would if I just, like, threw it up and was like, yes, this space is safe. Because, like I said, like, I think that really is up to people who are attending to say that. And then on top of that, it's like, again, you can create a space with all the intention in the world, but that doesn't necessarily make it safe. And just because someone says a space is safe, it can be safe in that moment, but that doesn't mean it's, like, always safe. Like, I think that safety is something that requires continuous investigating and checking in and maintenance in order to make sure that it is continuing to be safe. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I love that. Um, so like not taking for granted that like declaring something, a safe space means that it will always be that way. Cause yeah, that is so true. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. It, yeah. Actually just the times that we're in now, I think that now more than ever, we do need to be checking in and investigating and like inquiring about like the safety of spaces. Um, because like I said in the beginning, like physical space is something that is very few and far between for a lot of us. So the spaces that we're showing up in, like they have to be safe because a lot of us don't have any other spaces to be in, but the ones that we do have access to. Wow. Yeah. That's another incredible, incredible point. Thank you for sharing that. Like you're just like a, a, a font of like wisdom just right now. I got my it's, notebook right it has, here. It has to be the cat. Like the cat is inspired <laughs> in my lab. It's just, it's just flowing. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, oh man, there was something that you said that, um, uh, really struck me as well was like, and I think someone else had imparted this to me as well that really um, I've been trying to carry with me uh, going forward has been like intention versus impact. Ooh, yeah. yeah, which I was like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Because, you know, I mean, so many of us operate from that space of like, these are my purest, I have the purest intentions or my, you know, I didn't mean that that wasn't my intent. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we never, I think for the most part, none of us are seeking to put people in a position where we've hurt or harmed them in any way, but it does happen um, sometimes with our impact that we can take for granted, which I think can happen a lot in spaces that we call safe. And it's like, okay, that was your intention, but what is the actual impact on the people, like you said, who are occupying these spaces and utilizing them? And I think it's been like unfortunate that, you know, a lot of the spaces where we may be, would have thought were always safe spaces aren't. And like, I mean, just for example, I'm thinking of like academia, like academic spaces as being supposed safe spaces. Yeah. Those are some of the most unsafe spaces. (laughs) Truly, like truly. And you would think that, you know, it being academics and just the amount of knowledge you have to have, I'm making air quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Knowledge you have to have to enter those spaces. You would think they'd be safe, but so, so much harmfulness is like impacted in those spaces, especially if you're black. Yes. That's what I was literally just thinking of. Yeah. I'm laughing, but cause it's just like, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Like that just occurred to me. I'm like, damn, like, I mean, uh, without warning or a lot of times without even you're realizing it, like walking away from a class and like a particular hard subject where you're, where you're forced to sort of like, I don't know if the right word is like be combative or just, you know, against someone who maybe is not the same race or, you know, doesn't have the same sort of cultural understanding or intersectionalities as you and sort of like defend your personhood almost in a, in a way where like, you know, your professor's just like, oh, this is just discussion. And you're like, no, this no, is because I know what life. that feels like. Yeah. Discussion feels like this was not that. Yeah. You're like, that was this gross. Was yeah. Like what, what the fuck? No, 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 no. Oof. Yeah. So, I mean, I love that idea that like the, the folks who are in the space or who the space is meant to cater to are the ones that should be able to decide and declare whether or not the, the space is safe. And yeah, I wish more, more, I don't know, spaces actually did that. I, I, I guess it just feels to me that giving, giving people who a space is meant to cater to the power to say, yes, this space is safe. No, this space is unsafe or yes, this space felt, felt safe today, but then I came to another thing and that felt harmful. I just feel like it really 
gives like, it really gives back the sense of autonomy. Like you're not just showing up in a space, but like you are contributing to a space by just like, you know, clocking whether like clocking how you feel. Um, and it just seems like it, it provides more of an even like give or take. Like it's not just you running the space. It's not just people showing up, but it really is like a working together. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like that is what, that's what it should be. I mean, like, I feel like that should be the the given, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's not always that way. But I think hopefully, I mean, going forward that, that could be something that is taken into account like more readily. And I love that you yourself are doing that for the spaces that you hold and create for folks. I think that's like Uh so wonderful. And I think like your impact matches your intention. Yes. And that requires again, like constant checking in, like, Oh, a constant questioning of like, okay, remembering why I'm holding this space, remembering who the space is for and just constantly coming back to that. Like it does so much to keep the space honest. Yeah. And do you, do you feel, and sorry, this wasn't one of the questions I sent you, but do you feel um, in order to do that, like you mentioned with um, holding space, you have to take yourself out of it as well. Like, do you feel like you have to, I, I feel like I, I feel like I, I kind of ride this fine line of being in it, but out of it, like being out of it enough to be able to recognize when something doesn't feel safe to me as the person who's in charge of holding the space, whether that just be even not necessarily like safe, but just taking myself enough out of it to notice when like, you know, maybe someone's not really speaking or hasn't really interactive or noticing when somebody is speaking like a lot and there's not enough space really for other people to interact or just taking myself out of it enough to notice those things, but also staying present enough to really engage. Um, And by engage, I kind of more mean, mean like, not necessarily taking up space by talking, but being able to just to be able to understand like when to speak and when to not. Cause I think that that is also like another practice that does take work, like understanding when you're speaking because you have something to share that you feel might be helpful and understanding when you're speaking just because you feel like you have, just because you want to say something and the two are different and not always needed. You know what I mean? So just like kind of figuring out that filter. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that could be a whole nother uh, podcast topic, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Like speaking to intrude the space versus speaking just because you want to talk. Like, yeah, those are real. Wow. That, wow. That is good. That is good. And that is something, yeah, I'm going to have to be mindful of when I enter spaces. Um, Not perfect. (laughs) As well. Yeah. That's a practice. Yeah. No, definitely, right? Like not even striving for perfection, but yeah. I think like that level of mindfulness and that's like, that's impressive because I mean, that's a lot to juggle. Yeah, it, it can be. And, and you know, just kind of continuously going back to just like, it requires checking in and being like, am I in the space to do that? Can't like, is am I in the space to continuously do that? And you know, some days it's way easier than others, and I kind of just deal with that by like saying from the jump, like, this is where I am today. And sometimes then that turns into its own conversation of like, how are you really doing today? 
I definitely have started a few meetings by saying, like, listen, I'm not going front. I really almost didn't make it today. This really almost didn't happen. So let's just start from a place of honesty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. And then like, yeah, having to be honest with yourself. Yes. And where, and where you are. Yeah. Which, yeah, getting to that space, I, I think, yeah, it's hard. hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just like sitting here thinking like, ooh, okay. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like, and, um, and just honoring it, like you said, being okay with it, you know, like we're not always going to show up at a hundred percent, but you showed up, right? Like that's kind of, yeah. Like you're here about it. Yeah. Yeah. You're here. And like that matters to someone, Mm -hmm. you know, exactly. Exactly. So hopefully we can all show up for ourselves. (laughs) In whatever way, shape, or form, um, mm-hmm. we we are we are inhabiting or feeling or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is. And sorry, we're gonna head to uh, our first break very soon. I just keep coming up with like more. <laughs> I love um, it. it. Just you know, it inspires all these questions and all this investigation. Yeah, and the, so I'm. What I want to ask you now is like, um, we've been speaking about you know holding space and creating safe space for others but like how do you um create that for yourself that i feel like that changes on a daily if not hourly basis sometimes and i feel like one of the ways that i do that is honestly sometimes just being honest and being like i i don't know i don't know what i need today I, and that's frustrating it's really frustrating to be like i need something but if somebody asked me what that was i couldn't tell you Some days it's just like, we're just going to feel this shit out and see what feels good and see what doesn't. And then we'll do less of that and we'll do more (laughs) with other stuff over here. But in general, like I, I feel like I hold space for myself by really primarily just trying to just be, I try to not should myself and folks who do that understand that that is a lot easier said than done. I don't always succeed, but I definitely try. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the trying, right. Like, like, like that's trying. all you can do is you like, just try. I mean, um, for myself, when I think about like trying to hold, uh, space for myself, and that is also like a relatively new concept for me, I would mm-hmm. say maybe in the last year, year and a half. And like time is like moving yeah. very oddly for me. Like I don't it is understand like how we what? are where we are. <laughs> time right now honestly yeah yeah what is time exactly (laughs) I don't know so tell you yeah because I was like I was like a year a year and a half two years ago I don't know but um yeah it's been relatively new where like I've been trying to honor where I'm at at like any given moment but I feel like um I'm someone who did like a lot of policing of like my own thoughts and like feelings for a really long time. Just, I don't know, just cause like, I was like, all right, if you sit in this, it's just going to get worse. It's just going to continue. So like, you got to get better. You got to be happy. You got to look on the bright side. You got to be optimistic and doing anything other than that. Yeah. You got to look on the bright side. You don't have it as bad as some other people do. Like you should be grateful and all of those real things. But it's like, along with the realness of that, there's still like the shittiness of the thing that I'm dealing with. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just like, yo, so now I'm just like, okay, 
it's okay. Like, it's okay yes. to just feel whatever it is, even if it's not positive, it's not happy, whatever, just stop yes. judging it. <laughs> because like, yeah. what are we in right now? Yeah. Like, on to the positivity is, is like, can be a really great practice and mindfulness, but at a certain point it becomes disingenuous because it's like just using the positive to cover up not only the negative, but just all the in-between feelings that you sometimes have to feel to get to like a genuinely positive place. If that's where you're trying to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I realize like, it's so non-linear. Like we keep like, if I'm going to talk about like time again and like, and like you said for yourself, like for me, sometimes I feel like that fluctuation just happens so rapidly or within the space of like an hour or, or the day. And I'm like, but you like, I was okay. Yes. 20 minutes ago. Like, what I at the clock. <laughs> and 20 minutes ago, I was watching something stupid and I was cool. Yeah. And now I'm crying on my bathroom floor. Like, where, like, range. I have the range. That's cool. But, like, <laughs> but, like, what? Yes. Yes. I'm like, I'm like, what are you confused about? You weren't confused. <laughs> But yeah, just like, but now I'm just like, it's okay. Like, what are you proving to anybody? To who? Like, That's why? The question. That is the question. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's practice. It's just trying and it's just showing up again. Like you said, just yeah. in whatever way. Yeah. It's trying. It's just yeah. trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like my favorite, um, I saw this thing on like Twitter. Shout out to Twitter. Um, where someone, Twitter. yeah, someone had posted like one of their like affirmations that they do on like a daily affirmation, and they just started it with like "Today I am," and then they just kind of like go from there, writing whatever it is that comes to mind or you know spirit. And I started like taking up that practice, and <laughs> almost like almost every day. <laughs> one of my affirmations, like "Today I am trying. I'm trying. Like I promise you, I'm trying." <laughs> I love that. I'm going to start doing that too. Cause that's such a helpful way to just like take a minute to really figure out what's going on in your body in any given day. Yeah. And also just a nice reminder, like, yes, I'm trying. I might not do it, but that doesn't discount the effort I am putting in to try. Exactly. That <laughs> means everything right now. Exactly. True story. True story. I, I think the daily likeness of life and, and like the nature of my job and stuff, like um, I, you know, I am a nanny. So like, I, it's like, I have to show up like no matter how I'm feeling. Cause like yeah. there are, you know, children and their parents who are like depending on me in some way, shape or form. So I think I, I sometimes forget that like it, the things aren't normal right now. Like things aren't okay sure. for a majority of people. Right. And then I'm just like, yeah, girl, you're good. Like, you're good. It's okay. <laughs> Gucci, okay? <Yeah. laughs> you're feeling a little out of sorts? Girl, that's good. You're good. Yeah. We're looking at little humans. Okay, it's fine. They'll be fine. Like, go eat some goldfish. Calm down. Like, you're good. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And for the adults, too. Go eat some goldfish. It'll be fine. That's it's a pandemic. Doing. Yeah, like, what are you... <laughs> We're coloring. What the fuck else are we doing? <laughs> Another mindfulness thing I want to take up is coloring because I feel like like my my soul would really just enjoy that. It is so relaxing. <laughs> just pick a color, fill it in. Yeah, picture that feels that feels intentional as hell. Okay, it it really is, and it's 
like, I mean, I get it now. I get it why we were all obsessed as children with coloring. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's a creative space, but it's also like just like a your mind just completely just goes into what it is you're yeah. doing without any sort of thought really it's nice like sometimes when the kids are on zoom and I just have like time because I'm just listening I'll just be like guess I'm just gonna make a picture while you're doing your work (laughs) I love it I love it I love it I I really just love like the things that we pick back up from our childhood as adults um to to cope yeah hope sounds like to cope but like you know sometimes it is coping shit like (laughs) that's what it is it is. I think, I think that's what it all is at this point. I mean, <laughs> Say that. yeah, yeah. Which we'll definitely get into as we get into um, uh, death and grief, which I guess right here would be a good time to go take a really quick break and we'll be right back. We are now headed to our main topic discussion known as the stoop. And this is where we put our satin bonnets on, take our bras off, and get real comfortable. And as I mentioned, today we were talking about death and grief. So um, like we mentioned at the start of the show, these can be like really heavy and sort of intense themes and topics. But again, I hope that folks will get something out of this conversation. Like I know I know, I am, like just based on our even previous conversation that I'm going to walk away. Same. Yeah, with something, with a lot of something. But um, I guess to start like with the basics, like how would you define sort of death and grief? And like, this may seem silly, but like, do you think they're interchangeable? Mm-hmm. I like definitions. So I have a couple of definitions. Nice. Those make me feel good. Um, so the Webster definition of death is defined as the irreversible cessation of all vital functions, especially as indicated by permanent stoppage of the heart, respiration, and brain activity. Um, and it can also be defined as the end of life or the destruction or permanent ending of something. And that last one I really, really love because I love that it's not it's not necessarily connected to just the death of a person. And I I mean, like, you know, that's how we all kind of define death because that's the major, you know, the major source of death that we all experience. But death isn't necessarily just connected to people the same way that I feel like grief isn't just connected to the loss of a person. Um, and then also moving into the definition of Uh, grief, according to like the Mayo Clinic, their definition is grief is a natural reaction to loss. It's universal and personal. Individuals experience of grief vary and are influenced by the nature of the loss. Some examples of loss include the death of a loved one, the ending of an important relationship, job, job loss, loss through theft, or the loss of independence through disability. And I really enjoy that definition, again, because it's not just connected to the loss or death of a person. And I feel like just just in like the little experience that I have, it just really opens your eyes to the way that we talk about death and the ways that we talk about grief. So I don't think that the two are, are interchangeable. I think that one triggers the other. So like the permanent ending of something then triggers these feelings of like bereavement or grief or sadness or whatever emotion comes with your form of grieving. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you for sharing all of those definitions, which are um, super helpful. And 
Uh, sorry, y'all. Side note before we get into this topic. If you hear any clanging in the back room, my heat just decided to come on. And, hey, uh, look at you having heat, though. Okay. Yes. Hey, yes. We love it. We love to um, hear it. I know, which was so funny. I was thinking that earlier. I was like, I know this heat is going to freaking start as soon as we start talking. Um, but I am grateful that, you know, I'm in a warm space right now. But um, what, uh, what really struck me, again, like, I think the same part that you said for the definition of death, um, where it said just like a permanent loss or ending. Mm -hmm. And like that kind of like hits me in the heart a little bit. Cause it's like, Oh yeah. Like the heaviness of that is just like, Ooh, like, because maybe everybody hasn't experienced like a loss through death, but everybody has experienced the permanent ending of something. And that just, I feel like makes it more relatable yeah. Yeah. And I think in ways too, that we maybe don't even necessarily um, account for, because like, I'm even thinking now, like if we talk about a loss of your childhood, right. Or your, your innocence, your carefreeness, like that is, you know, traumatic sometimes in and of itself that like, especially if you're black, especially if you're queer or trans or non-binary, like any and all of the above, like, yeah. Dramatic shit. And usually happens earlier for anyone within those categories than yes. like for for other folks. And it's just like, do we, we don't even speak about that loss of, no. with, you know, not even in a space of grief, but there is a grief that comes with being like, things have changed and they will never be the same. Yeah. And, and sometimes I feel like just the the magnitude and the permanence of that, it, like sometimes there's just no words for what that felt like or what that feels like. And then also, again, just like if you are any of the groups like mentioned above, like you usually have so much shit put on you by the world that you don't even have time to really make sense of the fact that you lost that thing. A lot of times it's not until you have like hopefully the good grace to look back and be like, wow, I grew up really fast. I lost yeah. X, Y, and Z of myself really, really early. And I never got the chance to be sad about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Which is, I mean, it's heartbreaking to think yeah. about like, you know, especially uh, all those children not having anyone there to hold space for them in the way that we spoke about because- they didn't understand or, or there was no one to hold space for them. Right. Like that generational trauma yes. that a lot of us exist in. And, um, you know, that I know that I myself have existed in as a black person in the America. Like, yeah, you can um, leave it there and that would be like, yeah, yeah. I'm like not even thinking of all my other identities. I'm like, no, right. that's enough. That's, that's just enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As, as you know, someone who identifies as a woman, I could add that too. Like, you know, it's just, ah, it is a lot. And I mean, and to think about, I mean, grief, I feel like I reserve that in my mind for just like death really. It's like who I thought was allowed to grieve, so to speak, if like grieving is something that, you know, someone is allowed to do, but I feel like that's how it's spoken about here. In I America, say, I want to say more about that. Like, I want to say more just about that idea of grief and who's like quote unquote allowed to grieve. To grieve, and are we talking about like 
who we air quotes allowed to grieve like publicly out loud or are we just talking about in general like who's allowed yeah I mean I feel like I'm speaking like in general but I think the whole public part is also I mean it's a part of it right like it's also that like sort of inner um intersection of it of who's allowed to grieve publicly and I think you know we know who's allowed to grieve publicly (laughs) and who's not (laughs) or you know the ways in which they grieve like how it is policed and you know yeah and what's deemed acceptable yeah yeah but I think like what I was thinking of like allowed like um just someone that had, yeah, suffered like a, a death or a loss. But even within that frame, I think I grew up thinking too, like it, because I had a lot of um, older family members pass like throughout my childhood and teenage yeah. years. And there were, you know, family that I was close with and knew, even if it was like my great aunt, that was still yeah. like my aunt, that was just my right. aunt. But, um, but it also felt like how close you were to said person also was like the sort of indicator of the level of grief you should or shouldn't have. I feel that. Like, you know, which like sometimes feels hard to, at least for myself to kind of make sense of, of like, if you love them, you love them, you know, like no matter what that love looked like. So why would you not be allowed the space to just, I don't know. It's interesting. No, it's definitely part of how I I feel like um, we as, you know, Western society definitely kind of talk about grief. Like, I feel like there's just this, this like weird, this weirdly strict definition of grief, which we don't talk about, but is sort of like observed without knowing it. Like we're only allowed to grieve the death like we're only allowed to grieve a death and a death that is connected to a person. And usually a person who is a sibling, a parent, a family member. um, And that's kind of it. Like it's this really weird strict box, but no one ever says that you're only allowed to grieve that you just kind of take your cues off of people. Yeah, Um, You know, like it's, it's so fascinating and so just odd at the same time. It's so odd. Yeah. (laughs) Why? Like, what the hell? Like, where did they come from? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's got to be, I'm, you know, white supremacist patriarchy. It has to be something to do with that somehow. It's tied to it. I don't know how, but it is. right. (laughs) That honestly feels right. It really does. Yeah, right? Like, (laughs) respectability politics are somewhere in there as well. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, this is like a whole nother topic about like, even like gender and grief. But I mean, obviously, like, we can say that those who identify as men not being able to to grieve and be I don't soft know. and be soft. Yeah. And yeah. Like women being expected to be ultimately soft and or people who identify as women expecting to be ultimately soft and hold all this space while still doing all of the things like arranging the funeral, like comforting people, cooking, cleaning, uh, making food, like all of that shit. And it's just like, where did these come from? Yeah. Yeah, it has to be there. I mean, yes, I don't. It has to be. Which another <laughs> another reason to dismantle it. Like, <laughs> wait, tear it fucking down, <laughs> so we can all just grieve openly and mm-hmm. like heal. We need it. Yeah. We need it so badly, so badly. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, before I get into um, even more of my little diatribe <laughs> on this, I gotta add another question. Um, and we may have like started uh, answering this, but like, do you see? death as like a process or um 
does it have its own process sort of in the way that grief does? Like um, death as a process is in the dying process or like the process of, of grieving the loss of, of something that's ended. Ooh. Cause I think that, you know, like the actual process of like, and, and this I'm speaking of as like a, an actual body dying, whether that's like, you know, yeah. a person, like all things have their own dying process. I mean, but yeah. even like people's situations and things have their own dying process if you really think about it. But the way that I kind of think about it is that all things have a dying process and we're all connected through the fact that all things have a dying process. But like the thing that is dying, everything's dying process is specific to the container. Mm. Like Just because you and I and everyone listening to this podcast is going to die at some point and there are universal things that we'll experience when we do, it doesn't mean that my dying process is going to be exactly like yours or that yours is going to look like, you know, Joe, whoever, who's listening to this, wherever they are. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when you were saying that, and I don't know if my, I'm sure there's some sort of placement that will explain why I thought this way. But I, as soon as you were talking about like dying as a process, I was like, <gasps> we're all in the midst of our dying process. Yes. We are all literally closer, getting closer. Ah. (laughs) And yeah, the shit is scary. Especially if you are black and you are queer because another conversation, but you know, exactly, you know, that you're very aware of that. Yeah. So yeah, everything has a dying process and the dying process is universally shared, but the actual method of it happening the process is gonna look unique to the person or the thing yeah yeah and I mean I don't know if you if you can answer this because this is like I don't know who can answer this but like why is it that you know we don't speak about it the same way that we do like the grief process you know where they tell you like here are the stages of grief you're gonna feel sadness and anger and like denial and like why we don't speak about dying in that way. Yeah. Uh, If I'm speaking for myself and just speaking for like, you know, the, just the knowledge that I have. um, I think that a lot of the reason why we don't speak about the dying process as a Western society specifically Mm -hmm. is because we're not trying to die. You can't. You're right. (laughs) And like we are the nation of like, Botox and staying young and staying fit and staying trim, like young people, which is, it's a lie, but young people don't die. So if you're constantly chasing after youth, when do you get the chance to sit down and be like, one day I'm not going to be here. Where does that fit into that? And when you don't do that, there's no room for that discussion because you have to acknowledge that it's going to happen in order to say, and this is what that looks like. Wow. 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 You're absolutely right. Which I'm sure is, again, a design intentional so that, you know, we buy whatever it is that they want us to buy or we consume. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because that fear is sort of fed into us. And I know like we are speaking in a broader sense about like Western culture. And I know even within that, I guess, our specific cultures that have their own practices are probably more in tune and aligned. And I can't speak to those, you know, practices because like, that's not what I grew up with. But, um, but like, I would imagine then that like the dying process and, and 
I don't know if I sound weird. So, I, you know, I apologize to everyone. I'm not saying, you know, come to grips with your impending death or whatever. I mean, I feel like that might be healthy, but that's also not. <laughs> I was also not. That is actually super healthy. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also like, not my ministry. I can't speak on that. But you can. I can. I you can. Um, I feel you. Yeah. But I, I do feel like if we allow for that grief process, but also applied it to our sort of dying process, we would perhaps, you know, I don't know, reach the end of our lives, maybe in a more peaceful way without the sort of heartache and fear that we are surrounded by, you know, so, so much so right now, like, yes, I, I fully, I fully agree with that. That I, I feel that if we, I don't even want to say make peace with it because again, that's one of those things that you can kind of just say, but like everything that we talked about, that's a practice. Like, but if we got to a point where we were at least more comfortable talking about the fact that one day we are going to die and that's a given, then we would maybe hopefully get to a point where it'd be like, okay, now that I've acknowledged that, what do I want my life to be like? Like, what do I want to be doing? And I feel like just having that kind of having that kind of touchstone of mortality can really help you to inform the decisions that you make going forward, but then also allows you the space to sit down and be like, okay, well, when I do die, like, this is what I want. And this is how I want. If I have a choice in it, like, this is how I'd like to die. This is how I'd like my funeral to be this, like, you know, it would help us to really get our shit together and in order so that we can give our communities, our families, our pods, whatever you want to call it. Like we can give them the gift of just being able to grieve the fact that we are not here because, and I say gift because that's actually a gift. Like being able to give someone the ability to just sit and cry about the fact that you're not here without having to stress about how am I going to pay for this? Am I doing what they wanted? Do they really want this? Like, Like that's a whole gift by itself. Wow. 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 You're so right. And like, unfortunately it is a privilege to, yes. to be able to do that right now in our society. And I hope that over time it, it becomes the norm to like have these conversations. And I know that's part of the work that you're doing and you are like explain all that um, as we keep going in our conversation, but man, that that's so powerful. Cause I feel like, I mean, it feels so frightening. It feels so big. Like when we just speak about permanency, like that immediately for me, it's just like, it's ah, awesome. yeah, it feels so scary. You know, that the idea of anything being, you know, permanent. And, um, and I think perhaps um, because you said something else, perhaps if we feel like maybe it infringes upon our free will and our autonomy, when oh. we hear that something is permanent and we can't change it. So now it feels like, Oh, Yes, especially like just just this thought of like, especially when you grow up in like a very individualistic society where you where you maybe depending on who you are, because that is not true across the board, when you grow up hearing like you can do anything, you can be anything. And then you come up against something like death that says like, yeah, you can. But now that's over. Like the permanence of that wall is very is very overwhelming and scary. Yeah. It's scary as shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It really, really, really is. Scary. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> 
And like, but like, like we were saying before, like earlier in the conversation, but like, that's okay. Like, it's yeah. okay that it's scary. Like, yeah. it's okay that some of it we, we don't know. Like, it's okay. It's overwhelming, but it's okay. Like, <laughs> yes. it, it can be both. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I feel like it's hard to also like try to take that into other areas of life where like grief and that ending can happen, can transpire. You know, it's when those endings happen via, even if it's like divorce or, you know, you've you've left a job or you've, you've ended a friendship, whatever it is. Like endings are hard, hard, no matter the form endings are hard. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think where we do get to sort of bring our autonomous selves, if that is something that we're maybe all subconsciously struggling with, is what happens for you after, what happens for you during, right? Like maybe I can't change the ending, but I can change, you know, what happens for me after. I can change who, you know, and that sounds really philosophical. I'm like, all right. But um I yeah, maybe I should just speak I should speak for myself and I should bring it into like my own um example. But for me, one of the most recent um endings or grieving process, I I still feel like I'm in the midst of my own grieving process was the end of a, a friendship that meant a lot to me, a person that still means a lot to me. And I think um the ending part is where I got stuck a lot. And that invoked a lot of like sort of guilt or regret or sadness or anger was in that space. But like now I'm kind of like looking at it like, okay, you can't change that. You said what you said, you know, what happened happened. Where do you go now? Like, and you get to decide that, you know, like. Yeah, it's so true. And, and what, what immediately came to mind when you said the ending of a friendship was that that's another, that's another form of an ending that we don't really give enough respect to or enough love to, or enough just acknowledgement to like the ending of a friendship can be just as hard, if not more so hard than the ending of like a romantic relationship in my mind. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, friendships oftentimes are like these people that, know you before you really even got to know yourself and they stick by you and they know all of these versions of you that you've been. So the letting go or the ending of that relationship, like that is something to grieve over. Like we don't have to just grieve over relationships that are romantic. Platonic relationships deserve as much respect and ending as romantic ones do. No, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, I agree. It's not spoken about in the same way. I don't think the same amount of, once again, grace is given (laughs) Um, in, in terms of those, you know, relationships. And, and I'll even say like myself, like in the past, discounting the importance of a relationship for me until it was over, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Which is like, damn, that also sucks. Life lessons for real, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always say, like, none of us get out of this unscathed. Like, <laughs> truly, I would love to meet those that do. Yeah. To know what that looks like. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine, honestly. Like, I couldn't even imagine. But I mean, this is the beauty of life. But um, 
to get, I guess, more back on track with like you and the work that you do, because I feel like it's so important and I feel like um, folks may be like unfamiliar with it, but like, how did you come to be involved in grief work? Ah, uh, the easy answer is my own grief, because that's uh, a lot of the times how life works. Um, yeah. I... I lost my my grandmother, who was essentially my mother because she raised me from the time that I was three. I so let me backtrack a little. I became really interested in like hospice and palliative care a couple of years ago after the passing of um, an ex partner's mother, who I was who I got really close to, and she was really the first person that was close to me that died. So after I kind of you know did my grieving and it wasn't as fresh, I started thinking like she was so lucky that she had this big family that wanted to support her. And I'm thinking of just like, you know, New York where I'm sitting, like there are so many people who die unacknowledged and uncared for. And I really just thought like it would be really great to like, you know, volunteer and give back to those people and just have somebody to be there with someone as they're dying and say like, you know, like I am acknowledging that you are leaving this planet. Like somebody is acknowledging that you're, you're not going to be here. Um, and so I, I got really interested in that. I started volunteering for um, and training with hospice. I had actually done like my first hospice visit. And then um, I also trained with like going with grace, which um, is a training for like death, um, death guides and death companions. Um, So I finished that training and I was like all revved up and all ready to go. And like a month later, my mom died. So that just through, I don't even want to say it through a wrench in it. It just kind of brought, it brought the kind of clarity you kind of don't want when you're just about yeah. to start something new because like from this, from the jump, it had kind of just been like an outsider looking in. But then when she died, like I was right in it. And unfortunately, a lot of, fortunately and unfortunately, a lot of the things I learned became very relevant and very helpful. And while I really loved and still do love talking about just like death and dying and our experiences with it, especially as black people, because that's the frame that I'm coming from. I just really started looking at the grief side of it because that's what I was sitting with immediately. I had just suffered this really, really profound loss with like, you know, pretty much the only mother figure I had ever had. So I got into grief because I just started looking at my own and looking for resources and just looking for something that spoke to what I was going through. Like it didn't have to be the same thing, but I just was really looking for something that felt honest and not sugarcoated. Like sometimes that's really, it's really necessary and needed to just handle something gently. But I really was just looking for something to be like, your person died and it fucking sucks. What do we do about it? Um, so from there, I just, you know, I had an Instagram page and I started writing about my grief and started sharing it because like I, it, I needed to share it for myself, but I also just needed to share it so that I wasn't sitting with it and just holding it. Like I needed people to know what was going on with me. It, it kind of just felt like I lost this person that was so important to me and I wanted the world to like stop and acknowledge that I was dealing with this, but that's not necessarily how life works. So I was like, well, the other thing I can do is just make this corner of the world dedicated to my first year of going through this because 
the first year, I feel like is something that you never get back. Like it's such a tender sort of raw place. So that kind of led me to, to focusing more on grief work. And then as I was sitting with my, my grief and just kind of figuring it out day by day, I realized that there weren't a lot of places that were just specifically for Black people to show up and like talk about grief in a way that didn't feel like policed or like kind of voyeuristic or anything like that. So creating a space for that kind of got me further into dealing and talking about grief, like my own and others. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It was through my own loss that I really came to be involved in this work. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi, for sharing that. And um, again, my condolences to you for the loss of your mom. Like, I I know I feel, I feel like I'm going to get emotional because, like, man, I, yeah, I can only imagine the, the impact on that. But I also feel like how incredibly, like, powerful, but also, like, I don't know. I don't have the words to say that you're able to transform your own pain and provide space for others. Like who does that? Like, Oh my God, like you did that. Like, <laughs> I mean, Somebody who needs it for themselves yeah. as well as others does that. And I, and I, I definitely won't lie. I had to, and still do have to sometimes ask myself, um, they have to be, I have to get very clear on why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Like holding the space, I'm holding it because I would like the kind of care that I was seeking before I started this group. But it's also really important for me to ask myself, like, am I doing X, Y, or Z to run from my own grief? Because that's mm-hmm. real. Like that ha- happens and it's real. Um, so yeah, sometimes I really do have to just sit with myself and be like, self, what are we doing this for? Like, who is it for? Yeah. Um, and you know, that's just part of being honest. Yeah. But I think, I think it's, it's totally okay and perfectly permissible to say like, I'm in this moment, I'm doing it for me because yeah. like you said, when you were able to post your stories, whether it be Instagram or your blog and be like, this is what I'm going through. and you know, I want others to see me, but I'm also doing this in the hopes that like, you'll feel, someone else will feel seen by this as well, because yeah, yeah, like there, there isn't a lot of space, like you said, at least not that I've seen for, for grief. Like it's. Yeah. And that was like another weird thing to kind of navigate as I like, as my page took more of a turn towards like my grief process, I feel like I was walking this fine line of like wanting to be seen, but also only wanting to be seen so much. Cause I feel like sometimes and me speaking from just like my own kind of thought process, sometimes you can put out there that you're grieving and you're really upset by some kind of loss and people will take it as sort of like an attention seeking kind of thing. When really it's like one, if it is, that's okay. Cause sometimes grief wants attention called to it. Like you lost someone important. Attention must be paid. And you'd like the people that love you to pay that attention. And sometimes you do it because you don't want to have to tell 18 people the same thing. And that was a lot of what I posted too. Like if I put this here that this is happening, then you can tell this person to tell this person and I don't have to share the same person, the same story with 18 people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's so, wow. That's so true. I mean, I even think about that too. And just like, even in terms of this podcast of like, how much of myself do I want seen by folks or like, you know, the, even the unsaid things being picked up and perceived of being like, there's still part of you that you want, you know, for yourself and, you know, for those like intimate spaces and connections. But um, again, like I do think there is something powerful about sharing your story and sharing your truth. And I mean, I, yeah. And again, like it's just being able to take your pain and just like acknowledge it, sit with it, but also be like, okay, how can I, like use it, but like not in a way that's like icky. I don't know. Icky is not like a great word, but (laughs) perfect word. Okay. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. Okay. (laughs) That was icky. Wow. Great. I am an English major. Icky. (laughs) Icky's perfect. All right. Great. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think that's like when you mentioned um, public grief, I think that's what like a lot of people can perceive it that way of being like attention seeking in the wrong way. But I don't know that that is necessarily the case. I think that's all of us maybe having not dealt with our own individual stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I think, um, and I don't know if this is like an appropriate example, but I do think of like when Chrissy Teigen had posted that photo when she was in the hospital and like, the backlash. The backlash was insane, but I'm also just like, I'm not gonna lie. Like the photo made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I, I couldn't feel, but I could imagine the pain that she was in, and I just like was like, wow, I can't even fucking quantify what that must feel like. And it like, was yeah, and it's like now I have, like now I have to see it. Like now she wants me to see it. So like, and it's like, do I owe it to her? to look at it? That's a very good question and point about public grieving. It's like, once you see it, does it put the onus on you to acknowledge it? And especially in a space like social media where it's not really for that air quotes, you know what I mean? Like a lot of us are just posting the best versions of our lives. So then when we're confronted with some real raw shit yeah what do we do with it and I think that's you know that's telling yeah and I feel like I mean I didn't you know like the photo or whatever that yeah. felt a little weird to me like I was like I don't want to like this but I don't like this yeah I was like I can't heart this I was like this is uh. I was like but I'm looking I was like I am looking and I like try to honor that but also I felt like compelled like if it like it came up in my own like personal life and someone's like I can't believe she did that to be like that she's allowed to do that like it's okay you know like that was kind of like my own like I see you like I see why you would do this even if it's something that I maybe myself wouldn't do but I can see why she would and I can and I think it is necessary to a certain extent to share these stories of grief because it just lends a voice to like so many people who just feel like they don't have one in those spaces you know like they don't feel allowed to to have one I fully agree but yeah but thank you (laughs) for sharing your voice (laughs) and sharing your story and um in terms of like you speaking about being a deaf was it a deaf companion I 
I use the word like death guide. Um, It's known as like a death doula. There's a little bit of controversy around the word because doula, like its origin is like ancient Greek for female slaves. So you can understand why there's some like, eh, I don't know if I want to use that title. So I currently am playing around with how I like to refer to myself, but death guide feels good for the time being. (laughs) Okay, yeah, let's go with that. Um, yeah. I had no idea that that's yes. what. Yes. All right. Okay. So, like, let me cross that out on the question yes. I had. There so, <laughs> right out. So, what then is a death guide, or uh, yeah, let's say, what is a death guide, or like, what um, is your role as a death guide? So, my role as a death guide um, is just a person who provides holistic, non-medical heavy emphasis on the non-medical <laughs> and support for um, the dying and their pods, like emotionally, spiritually, socially, um, before, during, and just after the dying process. It's very similar to the way that like birth doulas provide care for the birthing person before, during, and after the birthing process. And yeah, it's, it's just a way to care for a person and their community while they're in the process of dying with like the same love and affirming and tenderness that people give babies when they're coming into the world, giving that same person to someone who's leaving. Wow. That is so beautiful. I mean, like it seems perhaps, I don't know, weird, but like there is something, I don't know, similar. And I think in regards to like the death and birth, um, sort of like process. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly or like what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But like, I feel like there is a sort of need for tenderness and for care and for honoring something almost miraculous that is taking place. Yes. Yes. I love, I love that word miraculous because I think that birth and death are very miraculous events. It's like, you're coming into the world fresh with a clean slate. You're leaving the world with all the things that you've learned. And now you're kind of going back into that space that you were before you got here. And both those things, like, again, like attention deserves to be paid to both of those. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's like, it's a little like sad or even like grief inducing to think of the many people who are not provided that you know like wow and and especially now yeah when when covid first happened um and even of course now it just but especially at the top of the pandemic it it just uh, it just really hurt my heart to think of how many people were dying alone and not being able to get in touch with their families or or being able to, but not being able to say goodbye, like physically, to be able to come to a room where your loved one is to hold their hand and say like, I see you and I love you. And just to be able to say and share air with someone and say goodbye to them. Like the fact that so many of us couldn't do that is, is, and I mean, it sounds like really um, sort of intense to say, but it really is sort of a disruption of the rituals, the few rituals that we have around death and dying. You know, it's like we kind of get the we, the person dies, we get the funeral, we get, you know, whatever we do after that. But like to not be able to say goodbye in the physical sense, like 
it's just, it's, it's so unnatural. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. And it's like so many folks who have personally like had to endure that kind of now have to find a way to bring healing into that for themselves and for, you know, their loved ones that have passed and are not here to, you know, find out or have that for themselves. And it's like, even like now collectively, we all have to somehow find a way to deal with that or reckon with that while still being in the midst of this pandemic, which seems like it's going to go on for who knows how long. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think like not to get political, but it's hard not to make this political when you think like, hello. Yeah. It's all all political. It it, it is. It just is. Yeah. It's like, if you cannot wrap your mind, like the magnitude of that, which we won't really, really be able to, I think, I don't know, feel or be hit with until I think a couple of years after the fact, like then we'll really be like, Oh, what? Like we lost half a million people. And just like, because we can't, we can't step back from it right now. Right now. Yeah. And usually like a lot of our, like a lot of our brains are in survival mode Mm -hmm. right now. So it's going to take, it's going to take this being over for like a good amount of time before our brains can kind of shift and be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not like surviving on this knee jerk reaction anymore. Like, wow, we lost so many people. Like, um, I think a really good way to kind of put it into um, like a context that is a little understandable is um, so the inauguration mm-hmm. um, when they went to Arlington cemetery, it's kind of like that, like that amount of graves kind of equals the amount of people that we have lost in this pandemic. And when you see it visually, wow, it's like, what do you, what do you do with that? Yeah. 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 And I, and I don't mean to overwhelm anyone listening. Like, I don't feel like that's the purpose of our conversation is to be like, sit there and, and feel guilty. Absolutely not. I don't think the impetus is on the people to, to feel guilty or, um, have to reckon with that guilt. And I, and I pray that anyone who's lost anyone, especially can find a way to let that guilt go if you do feel it, cause it's not yours, but I feel like that is a responsibility of our government. And like, that's why you see so many people enraged still, even with, you know, our new president. It's like, we, you can't take your foot off their necks because like, because of all of that. Yeah. Like, uh, I know it's so gross and we're going to like go to like better things, but I'm just like, we don't, we shouldn't be begging you all for $2,000 in the midst of all this. When the inauguration costs how much money? Like, come on. <laughs> come, come on. on. Come on. Yeah. It's like, you. that is who is responsible for, you know, the loss of life, the massive loss of life and grief. And like, that's where the responsibility should lie. Um, but yeah, I mean, and also individuals who are not, whatever. Well, well that's another topic as well. Individuals who are not necessarily right. <laughs> following the rules, but another again. For another time, but yeah. y'all are aware. So y'all know. You know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> but um, but speaking of like such like heavy and immense things, like um, I want to say like I want or I'm not I want to say, but I want to ask like, how do you still find the space to nurture and protect yourself as you you know help guide people and provide 
emotional, physical, and mental support? Um, I, I, I mentioned at the top of this that it kind of changes every day. Um, but for the most part, there are like little things that I do before speaking to people, like just to make sure that I am in a good space before I try to hold space for somebody else. Um, and that really can be just as simple as like taking a moment beforehand to do like a brief, like scan of my body, like where am I holding tension? What am I feeling? And like the purpose of that isn't to like fix any of that. It's just to really be able to say like, okay, these are the things that I'm bringing into this space that I'm entering so that when I am holding space, I can clearly say like, oh, that thing that I'm feeling like that's mine and has nothing to do with the person who's in front of me or Maybe it does, but like there may be just the trigger and not like, you know, the sole responsibility of whatever thing I happen to have come up. Um, but I think a lot of my self-care right now kind of has to do with my altar. Like it's uh, when my mom first died, like I immediately like made an altar because I just I really needed a space where I could go to talk to her because I I just the idea that I couldn't talk to her anymore. Like I just really couldn't get my brain around that. Like, so she's dead. And that means that I can't call her anymore. And that means that I can't speak to her at all. Like I just like that, the math on that did not math for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I made like this altar and this altar has honestly become a space where I care for myself because you know, you have water on the altar and like, I change it out. So then it's like, did you drink water today? Like if I put down all like, you know, coffee as an offering, it's like, did you have any coffee today? Um, Like, it's just like tending to it really has just become a way to help me tend to myself. Um, And just having it as a space where I can show up and it's a quiet space where I can really just listen to myself. And it's a space, like I said, where I can just like still connect with my mom, which makes the grief that I have surrounding the fact that she's no longer physically present, like it really eases that. Um, So that's really how I tend to myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm so glad that you created that for yourself and you have a space where you can go to connect with her. Yeah, It's, It's needed. And, you know, as we're talking about you know, trying to create ways to find peace in the midst of COVID when physical spaces aren't always possible. Like that was something I really had to navigate just like a lot of people, because for a very long time, I couldn't go to the cemetery. Like she, she died right before COVID. We had the funeral right before COVID, but you know, everything was shut down and is shut down in a lot of places. Um, So I really had to find a way to make peace with the fact that I couldn't go see her. And that really led me to have to, you know, really sit down and be like, okay, what do I need? Like, what am I, what would me going to see her do? And how do I kind of try to find that in a different way? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, I feel like unfortunate that a lot of us have lost connection with those sort of practices that where I've been a part of our lineage, especially, you know, Black folks, Black people here in the Americas, part of the diaspora, like I too have an altar. I don't know if you can see the flowers behind me. That <laughs> uh, Thank you. That is, um, yeah, again, just a space that I also, after like 
hearing about altars and like then learning about it and then thinking like, oh, I would love a space as well to connect with my ancestors and connect with folks, you know, who, who love me and who are no longer here. And, you know, how can I honor them? And it's, it's beautiful that we find our way back. Right. Like, uh, I love that phrasing. Yes. Cause we, it is a finding our way back. It's not, it's not something that's new. It, it, uh, kind of reminds me of, I believe it was Toni Morrison that called it like a rememory. It's just a coming back to a practice that like we've all already had. We just maybe weren't aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And which feels like important, like right now, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Creating that sort of sacred space. And I'm, I'm so glad that you have that when you said like, you can't even like physically get to the space where she is. Yeah. And I hope others are able to find that um, or build that for themselves as well. Create that, you know, because yes, it, it's very needed. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone in this when I say that when you're not able to physically go to your your person's like grave, if that's something that you do want to do, like I definitely had to sit with a lot of feelings of guilt over it like just these feelings of like, I can't, I can't physically get there. And like, I hope that she's not mad at me because I can't get there. Like I'm not actively trying to not be there. Like I, that, I really had to find peace around that. And that's something that I do kind of still have to find peace around because now that things are open, it's like, am I ready? Because I think that's another part of grief too. You can have the idea, you can have the want, but then when it comes to the reality and the execution, there sometimes is a moment of like, wait, is this actually going to be helpful or is this just something that I want to do? Cause there's a, cause there's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being okay with wherever you are yeah. on that process. Like mm-hmm. if you're not ready, you're not ready. And yeah. like, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I don't know, but I, I want to imagine that like, that sort of guilt is really just a projection and not one that like your loved one would place on you or feel, you know, cause it's just like, yeah. yeah. From, from my mom, at least for sure. Like yeah. it is very much like something that I am putting on myself and I'm so aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> cause I just feel like I talk to her every day. I really don't feel like she personally would be so offended that I didn't go, but it's just that, that feeling, especially when you have too much time to think due to, you know, being inside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really real. All of it yeah. is real. Isn't that crazy? Like the, the downside of like thinking too much, like you can think too much. (laughs) Like you can have literally too much time to fall into your own head. That's very real. Yeah. And I think, again, I don't think I'm alone in saying that a lot of us are trying to navigate that. Yes. I am one of them. I am present. Yeah. And accounted for. I just try to get myself in that space where I'm like, can you just be right now? Can you just be? Right. And most of the time, the answer is no. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> but we try. Yeah, we try. We try. We try. That's the way. <laughs> just we keep coming back to the effort. Okay, exactly. Effort. That I mean, truly, that's that makes a difference, right? Are you are you just trying? <laughs> 
you so much. Yeah, it really does. But um, to kind of like continue with what we were saying about like our collective mm-hmm. sort of like grief and what's happening is like, how do you think we can like aid in supporting people like in our own lives who are going through grief? Because I feel like, I mean, we mentioned that grief shows up in so many different ways, not just like the death of a loved one or, mm-hmm. you know, friend, family or whoever, but our even pet or it doesn't yes. matter. Um, but also in like a job ending, a relationship ending, you know, having to move, yeah. having to whatever it is. But like, I feel like we, I mean, or maybe I'll just speak for myself. You don't always know how to support people yeah. in those spaces. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, like, what do you say? Or yeah. do you say anything at all? And, you know, how often are you supposed to say something, you know, like. Yeah, it's, it's a lot to navigate. Uh, my, my first big way that I feel like we can support, um, people in our lives that are grieving as long as well as like the collective grieving. And I say this with literally all of the love, care and kindness and compassion as there is deal with your own shit. (laughs) And this is not me. Yes. And this is not me saying that you can't support people when you are going through your own things. Cause I don't know how real I think that is because we are all always going through our own things. But I think that you can definitely cultivate an awareness of what things are yours so that if you do want to hold space for people, you're able to say like, okay, this is mine and that's yours. Um, So yeah, so you're able to just recognize what really belongs to you and what you could possibly project onto someone else. Um, so yeah, primary thing, deal with your shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like to follow up with that, because um, you said like a very hard thing about navigating grief is like just not knowing what people need. And the way to fix that is to ask. To ask. <laughs> simple yeah like it kind of is but also kind of isn't because just because you ask doesn't mean the person that you're asking will know and that has to be okay too so sometimes it can be really helpful to come to them with suggestions for things that you know that you can do like have you eaten can I get you some food can I can I drop off some food for you do you need someone to listen to you? Do you not want to talk at all and just watch something stupid on Netflix and literally just do that? Like just be in silence. If you're, you know, in a pod and, you know, practice all of the good safety things that we should all be practicing. Can I babysit for you? Can I just like do something to take some of the things off of your plate so that you have time to just sit and be? And just because you extend the offer doesn't necessarily mean that they'll take you up on it, but it's just really touching to know that people want to help you carry the burden of, you know, your sadness. Like, I think that's why I say like only offer the things that you know that you can, you can fulfill. Yeah. I feel like that's a really important like delineation to make. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of us feel maybe compelled and that can be either through the way society teaches us like that we are supposed to show up for people or cater to people or, or do whatever. But yeah, you can only do what is within your yeah. own, I don't know, like reach or yeah, like whatever you are like, capable of. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. 
know that what we're doing, but we both understand what that right. means. <laughs> I also will say too, that a really, something that can be really helpful that can seemingly be small is just reaching out and letting them know that you're thinking of them. And I mean, it really could just be as simple as being like, if you don't know what to say, admitting that you don't know what to say and being like, I love you. I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm here if you want to talk and I'm thinking of you and then not only that, like doing it regularly. Cause I think that that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is that there's sort of like this weird, like time frame, quote unquote, for how long our attention span for grief is. So it's like, you know, you find out somebody close to you might have lost a person or is like, you know, going through something. There's like the initial, like, Oh my God, let me hop into action. And then there's like the days and weeks and months later where maybe you're not thinking about it anymore, but they're still sitting in it. And it's just really helpful for people to know that someone is still thinking of them in this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely, I I agree. I, I can see that, like that sort of waning period of like, it's been a couple of months now, or it's been a couple of weeks now, like, all right, you know, and it's, and you can't, I mean, you can't quantify grief. You can, who right. knows how long it will last? It may be a lifelong process yeah. for some people. I think it is. I don't think. I think it is. It I stops. Yeah. I, I, think just, I think we just, it just integrates itself into our lives yeah. in different ways. But I don't think the process fully stops. I think maybe we learn to come to some acceptance if we're lucky, but yeah. it's always there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's true. And I think like, now that I'm thinking about it, just like, I don't know. I feel like, you know, we sometimes don't know, like you sometimes waiting for permission for someone to give you permission to, to ask or to help or to like, should I bring it up? Is it still sensitive? I don't want to trigger anything. Like, yeah, yeah. It's touchy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I don't, like you said, the only way to know is to ask. If you don't ask, you're just making a lot of times Sounds like cute. the the risk outweigh like the reward outweighs the risk. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least at least they will know that you are thinking of them. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've I've been that person who like has thought of the people yeah. and not reached out yeah. just cuz I thought that would be awkward cuz I didn't know how to do it, but like yeah. now, you know, in retrospect sort of kicking myself of being like at least again like make the effort even if it feels awkward and bumbling, you know, like. And now you have that for the future though. Cause it's like, oh, I remember how I felt when I, when I didn't. So let me do something different this time, which is all like all that we can do is like take the things that we learn, the feelings that we have, and then just do something differently if they didn't feel good. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Again, grace, grace folks. (laughs) Grace, grace. Yes. Title of this. Yeah, I should. (laughs) I feel like if you're going to take anything away from this episode, it will be grace, grace and like grace. effort, like grace and effort. That's what we're going. Grace that's what we're working with. <laughs> Give yourself some grace and make a little effort. That's, <laughs> that's it. I feel one more thing I want to add to this part too mm-hmm. is just, again, I feel like I've said this a couple of times, but I feel like it just, I keep coming back to it is like reaching out to someone with the understanding that they might not answer you 
they might like in a in a time frame, quote unquote, that feels good to you, like they might not answer at all. And that's okay. Like before you reach out to someone, reach out with the understanding of why you're reaching out and what you're trying to do so that you don't necessarily put the person who's grieving in a position where they feel like they have to like placate you or like perform grief in a way that you were expecting so that you can feel good when really the point is you trying to show up for them. Wow. Sorry, I'm writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I had to write that down. As you were speaking, I was like, okay, spirit. it's just a real natural response. Like when we do yeah. something that we're trying to be helpful in, like we want people to acknowledge it and we want it to be seen in a certain way. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And that has to be okay. Cause it's, it's their grieving. And you know, you don't actually know why they're not answering you. Maybe they're overwhelmed. Maybe they're off their phone. Maybe they didn't even see it. Like all of these reasons are reasons why they might not get back to you. And literally all of those have nothing to do with you. It hardly ever does, right? That's what we exactly. sat on. It hardly ever does have anything to do with us. And that's harder. It's easier said than done because yeah. we have egos and they need to be fed and we like acknowledgement. So it's really hard to take yourself out of the equation and then be like, you know what? Maybe it's not about me. <laughs> Is something not about me? They're just dealing with their own shit. Like I should be doing with mine. Yeah. 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 Wow. That is damn. That's so true. Like <laughs> gaining objectivity. Woo. That shit is hard. It is hard as fuck. So hard, but so necessary. So, so worth yes. the effort. So worth it. Yes. And I I truly love like take yourself out of it. Try. Yeah. Try to take yourself out of it. And also I love like that, you know, also another um, awesome point for today is like work on your shit. (laughs) Do it. Try, please. For the love of God, we are (laughs) in this together, y'all. And the more of us that work on our shit, the easier this life will be. True story. <laughs> I say that's true story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. I uh, definitely going to do some journaling after this. <laughs> I'm going for a walk after this for sure. Yeah. I'm going to be like, whoa. Okay. Well, what? Are you, why were you reaching out? Okay, yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, again, it, it requires like mindfulness and investigation, and like mm-hmm. you know, to gain that objectivity or to figure out where you're being triggered or where you're still, you know, operating from, you know, a sort of ego headspace, and like you could do it without even noticing. I do it all the time. And I'm like, right. oh shit, my ego got me again. Like. <laughs> do it yeah because you know for a lot of us like all we have is our ego yeah well you know trying to just put it aside for a little bit like again other word that comes up it's a practice yes it's a practice yeah I think especially if we're talking about a a grief practice or a grief process which we both said is like for us seems like a never-ending process that one will sort of continuously have to navigate then like 
you like you you have to like you have to yeah yeah mm-hmm. Ooh, that was that was that was good but that was that was a lot <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a lot that was a lot that was a lot <laughs> but you know what we we got to give you a little break yes. and then we'll be right back <laughs> And we are back from our last and final break, and it is now time for the roundup. This is where we wrap up our discussion and share final thoughts. And this will also be the space for listener letters and comments, should you all want to write into the show at the brownstone podcast at gmail.com. Uh, so, Naomi, I guess I want to ask, like, sort of last few questions, but like, what are some of the offerings that you have that folks might want to know about and utilize? Cool. Um, well, the first one, which is super near and dear to my heart, is Black Folks Grieve, which is an online Zoom space that I created that is specifically for Black people, very heavy emphasis on the specifically and for Black people, um, to show up and just share our grief experiences in community um, without judgment. And I have taken a break from those because I did one every Monday for like four months, three months in a row. So we're currently on a break, but we're coming back February 8th, um, every other Monday from seven to nine Eastern standard time. And if folks are interested in signing up, you can head to my website, which is the glorious hum and, um, events. Um, and you can sign up there. And the other offering that I have, which is a little newer, but still just as near to my heart, is um, one-on-one breathwork guided meditations. Um, Breathwork has been a practice that I have found really, really helpful in dealing with my grief, just because, quite honestly, it was a practice that reminded me to fucking breathe. (laughs) And again, it sounds easier said than done, but sometimes all we do need is like a moment where show up in a space and all we have to do is breathe and we don't have to think about outside obligations we don't have to think about things we need to do for other people we literally just sit with another person as they guide us in breathing so I offer like one-on-one sessions in that and the books will be opening back up for that in February as well Um, so those are the two offerings that I have right now that are really really great yeah, they sound so wonderful. And I know I'm just thinking now, like, my schedule, like, sucks. Otherwise, I would uh, definitely join Black Folks Grieve and, um, you know, yeah, the, the space, yeah. No, I definitely will because I, I feel like it would be a wonderful space to just, um, I don't know, take part in, like, a very welcoming space. I, I feel like there are a lot of spaces for black folks specifically like right now. So I love that you've created one, you know, and in the realm of like grieving and, and sharing and honoring that. Yeah. It's just, it's just so important. And I, I feel like as we navigate this pandemic, it's so easy to tell people that they're not alone. And like, it's, it's true. None of us are in a sense, but at the same time, it's so much different when you show up in a space with other people that maybe aren't grieving the same things that you're grieving. But when you see other people truly in their feelings about something that is shared, like it just really drives that point home of like, oh yeah, I really am not alone because I'm looking at you and I'm looking at you and you're hearing the sound of my voice. So we're in community. There is a community to be found. 
Yes, community. Wow, that is another uh, major, major word, community. How do we build community? Yeah. And around something that's not necessarily always joyful. Like, I feel like that makes it harder because we're not necessarily, even though there is joy to be found in grief, we're not necessarily always talking about happy, shiny, pretty things. Like, we're talking about some really heavy, sometimes really triggering things that are real. So it can be even harder to find community where you have space to even share those things, you know? Yeah, but you have done it. You have done it and you are doing it. So that was February 8th, right? Yes. Like the, the group. 8th, okay. Um, seven to nine Eastern standard every other Monday. Ooh, and head to the website, which I will have in the show notes. So you could all head to Naomi's website and sign up and also um, schedule for breath work, the one-on-one breath work. If that is something that folks are interested in, which I mean, breath is life. So <laughs> Yeah. Hopefully you're all interested in it. (laughs) I am for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And is there, um, are there any projects that you could share with us right now or? Um, there's a few like workshop ideas kicking around. Um, but black folks grieve is really where my heart and my focus are along with just doing things like this. Yay. Yay. And you're also back on Instagram, which um, I am. I feel even tentative to say that because I feel like yeah. as soon as I say that, I'm just like calling something for. <laughs> but I am back on Instagram. Um, so I am at uh, the Glorious Hum on Instagram. And like I mentioned in this recording, it really was a space for me to kind of document my journey as a death guide. And it slowly just turned into a space for me to talk about grief, my own others, things that came to mind, and just things that I've been learning about grief as I read more, as I study more, as I interact with more people who are also experiencing grief. So all in all, it really is just a safe space for the topic of grief, which can be really scary to touch. But you know, if you need a space for that, it's there. Awesome. Yes, everyone, follow, follow, follow. And on your um, website, you also have really, really beautiful and poignant blog posts on there oh, if you. folks want to read. <laughs> read them, check them out. There. Yes, it is all there, all easy for, for you all to find. And again, I'll have that all in the show notes. But I mean, I think, is there any anything else you would like to share before we close out the show? I uh, just... I don't know. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Like I said, like the topic of death and dying and grief, like they are so potentially heavy. But like I said, I feel like the more that we talk about them as a collective and the more spaces that we provide people to talk about them, the better off a lot of us will be to support ourselves and our communities, especially as we continue to sit through this panorama. Yeah. (laughs) Like the more that we we can help each other move through it. And that is, that's the bottom line. Yes, definitely. And could um, folks look to your, to your website for more info on like the work of a death guide and if they wanted to utilize those sources um, or find resources, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They can definitely um, book me for that if they're interested in that. I do consultations. Um, I also provide um, a resources guide on my site, um, which has resources regarding like death and dying, but is more leaning towards grief. So if you're in need of like grief resources, like groups or maybe finding a therapist or finding some books 
to read or just things like that, like you can find that on my site as well. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much, Naomi, for being here. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for sharing your light, for your sharing your story. Like, thank you so much. And thank you for creating this space. Oh, no, girl, I had to, I had to, it was my own, like, it was my own lifeline. (laughs) Yeah, that exactly. But uh, yes, on that note, that will be the end of today's show. Again, thank you, Naomi, and shout out to the Glorious Hum. Um, And yeah, thank you for joining me today. And please be sure to check out her website and blog and follow her on Instagram. But more so, you know, check out her website and utilize her resources and join her. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And I want to thank you all for listening to The Brownstone with Jara Monique. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Ghana, and wherever else you listen to your pods. You can also follow the show on social media. The apps are in the show notes. And yeah, stay tuned for next week's episode. Love y'all. Bye.